Welcome to Queer by Candlelight, hosted by Elizabeth Crane and Dahlia Kumar. I'm Elizabeth Crane, and I'm the creepy monster that lives in the basement. And I'm Dahlia Kumar, and right now I'm really old, but I look young to, to certain people. This week on episode 5 of Queer by Candlelight, we are going to discuss American Horror Story, specifically the first season of the anthology Murder House, which came out in 2011. Please be warned that we are going to discuss the plot the entire season, so there is a spoiler warning. Do not listen to this episode if you care about learning what happens in the final episode. <laughs> so Murder House is the first season of an anthology that often connects to prior seasons, but each season is its own separate entity. This season was created by Ryan Murphy and Brad Falchuk, and it focuses around a family moving into a mansion in L.A. that is extremely haunted. Episode 1, Pilot. Directed by Ryan Murphy and written by Ryan Murphy and Brad Fulchuk. We see the Harmon family move to Boston from LA and then they move into this super creepy mansion. But they're like, wow, it's so pretty. Stained glass. So cool. Vivian, who's the mother, recently had a miscarriage, and Ben, who is the father, had an affair with another character named Hayden. Violet tries to assimilate into school, but she's bullied by the popular girls. Later on in the episode, that we, we see their neighbor Constance and her daughter Addie, who has Down syndrome, wander into the house and be rude to Vivian. Larry also randomly shows up and tells Ben that he used to own the home but set fire to his entire family, and he has a bunch of burn scars all over him. Ben's a psychiatrist, and he runs his pactorus out of the home, so one of his patients, Tate, befriends his daughter, Violet. The maid, Moira, is also rehired by Vivian, um, and she looks like an elderly woman to Vivian, but she looks like a young girl to Ben, and she's dressed in, like, this really, really sexy maid costume. Later on, Vivian has sex with a man in this, like, latex black bondage suit that she saw earlier in the attic, and she thinks it's Ben, and then she later tells Ben that she's pregnant with his child. In episode two, Home Invasion, directed by Alfonso Gomez Rejon and written by Ryan Murphy and Brad Falchuk, we meet Hayden, the woman Ben had an affair with, and she calls to tell Ben that she's pregnant and needs his support in Boston to get an abortion. Ben goes to Boston to support her, but lies to Vivian about it being a work trip. Three people, led by Ben's patient Bianca, break into the house and reenact a murder of two nursing students that lived in the house in 1968. Vivian and Violet, who the group are treating as the nursing students and their victims, manage to escape, and Tate and the ghosts in the house scare the intruders away. Ben hears about the home invasion and leaves Hayden to come home, and Vivian tells Ben when he arrives that they need to sell the house. Episode 3, Murder House, directed by Bradley Buker and written by Jennifer Salt. The Harmons decide that they don't have enough money to move, so they stay in the house, even though Vivian is still uneasy. Hayden then also arrives in LA and tells Ben that she wants to continue their affair and has decided to keep the baby. Through a haunted house tour, Vivian learns that the house's original owners were Charles and Nora Montgomery, who provided illegal abortions out of the house's basement until Nora murdered Charles and committed suicide. 
Ben also passes out later and is told by the doctor that he was poisoned with the memory loss drug, and then he accuses Moira of drugging him since she's been trying to seduce him. Hayden once again comes to the house, and she's mad at Ben for ignoring her, but as she's standing outside of the house, Larry, the guy who used to live in the house earlier, arrives and hits her in the head with a shovel and kills her. Ben is flabbergasted, and Larry says that he was trying to help Ben and convinces Ben to help him hide her body. They then dig a hole in the backyard, where they then find the body of Moira, but ignores the body of Moira and buries Hayden over it. Watching from the house window, Constant gloats to Moira that Moira is now stuck in the house forever. In episode 4, Halloween Part 1, directed by David Simmel and written by James Wong, the Harmons hire interior designers to try to make the house easier to sell, but instead Chad and Patrick arrive. Chad and Patrick are the ghosts of former owners of the house, who were killed by the creepy ghost of the bondage suit, which is referred to as the rubber man. In a later scene, Violet asks Tate why the basement is so terrifying, having recently used it to scare the mean girls at school. And Tate says that living in the basement is a medical abomination created by Dr. Charles Montgomery when he tried to bring his dismembered child back to life in sort of a Frankenstein situation. Vivian confronts Ben about his affair with Hayden because she keeps calling, but Ben says Hayden is gone. Vivian goes to the doctor and learns that the baby is much more developed than it should be for an eight-week fetus, and the nurse passes out after seeing an ultrasound. While trick-or-treating, Constance's daughter Addie is hit by a car, and Constance tries to drag her onto the murder house's lawn before she dies, but she is unsuccessful. Violet is alone in the house and is shown simultaneously seeing Larry at the door and the rubber man standing behind her. When the Harmons return back from the doctor, Violet is missing and the house has been broken into. Ben answers the door and finds the ghost of Hayden outside. Episode 5, Halloween Part 2, directed by David Semmel and written by Tim Minear. Tate and Violet are on a date at the beach, and Tate talks about how much he hated high school when the ghosts of five teens, apparently violently murdered, arrive and yell at Tate. Vivian tells Ben that Hayden's in the house, and Ben finds her in the basement, but is knocked unconscious by Larry with a shovel. Larry ties up Ben, but Nora Montgomery frees him and says that he needs to save his child. Hayden and Vivian start fighting, and when each learns that the other is pregnant with Ben's child, Ben breaks them up. Ben then admits that he impregnated Hayden long after Vivian found out about the affair, and Hayden is arrested. Constance then invites Vivian to her house and reveals that Addie has died and that Tate is her son. The murdered teens from the beginning of the episode are revealed to be the ghosts of students Tate killed when he committed a school shooting many years ago. The ghosts confront Tate, and the description they provide is clearly meant to reference the Columbine Massacre. With Halloween night ending, the ghosts say that they have to depart, and all the ghosts, including Moira, Chad, Patrick, and Nora, shown returning to the house. Ben then packs up and leaves, having been kicked out by Vivian. In episode 6, Piggy Piggy, directed by Mike Uppendahl and written by Jessica Scharzer, mm. and written by Jessica Scharzer, Violet Googles and realizes that Tate was shot by a SWAT team after the school shooting and has been a ghost the whole time. Constance talks to her and introduces her to medium Billy Dean, and the two tell Violet that Tate doesn't know he's dead and can't accept it, resulting in Tate not being able to pass on. They ask Violet's help in the school of helping him. 
Vivian reluctantly allows Ben to continue using the house to host his therapy sessions because it's their main source of income, and Ben starts seeing a patient named Derek, who is terrified by an urban legend of the piggy man, who kills people who repeat a mantra in front of a mirror. Vivian talks to the nurse who passed out during her ultrasound in previous episodes, and the nurse claims that Vivian's baby is the Antichrist. Derek takes Ben's advice to face his fear, but is shot and killed by an armed robber while trying to summon the piggy man. Violet tries to confront Tate, but is attacked by other ghosts. Violet then attempts suicide, but is saved by Tate, who tells her that he loves her and she forgives him. Episode 7, Open House, directed by Tim Hunter and written by Brad Fulchuk. In a flashback, Larry is shown to be in love with Constance and agrees to kill Constance's disfigured son, Bo, who Constance has chained upstairs and is about to be taken away because of her neglect. In the present, Tate tells Violet that ghosts cannot harm her if she tells him to leave her alone and shows her old photos of Montgomery's. Vivian then learns that she's pregnant with twins and investigates the house's past and finds out how Charles Montgomery was a mad scientist who turned his and Nora's dead child into a monster, which caused Nora to go insane and commit murder-suicide. Ben then confronts Larry, and Larry tells him that he wants the Harmons gone so that he can have the house because he's in love with Constance. Violet shows the photo of the Montgomery's Tate gave her to her mother, and Vivian recognizes Nora Montgomery as a supposed interested buyer from the beginning of episode 3. In episode 8, Rubber Man, directed by Miguel Arteta and written by Ryan Murphy, Tate is revealed to have been the Rubber Man ghost and the father of Vivian's child because he wanted the ghost of Nora to have a baby to make her feel better. He killed Patrick and Chad because they decided not to have any kids and he needed the homeowners to want children. Hayden and Nora decide to drive Vivian insane so that they can each adopt one of her twins. Vivian and Violet see the home intruders for episode 2 again, and Ben thinks that Vivian is going insane because the police found no evidence of a home intrusion. Ben says that Vivian cannot leave the house, thinking that she is trying to take his children away from him, and Vivian steals a gun. Hayden convinces Tate, dressed as the rubber man, to attack Vivian, and during the attack, Vivian shoots Ben. The fight results in the police arresting her. Chad and Patrick's actual deaths are finally shown, and it's explained that Tate staged it to look like a murder-suicide. Episode 9, Spooky Little Girl, directed by John Scott and written by Jennifer Salt. In the 1940s, a dentist rapes Elizabeth Short while she's under anesthesia, but she had been given too much of the drug and died. After her death, Charles Montgomery uses her body for his experiments. In the present, we see that Elizabeth ghost goes to Ben's therapy. Ben gets a call from Vivian's doctor saying that her twins have two separate fathers, so Ben accuses Vivian of being a hypocrite and cheating on him. And Hayden also suggests to Ben that Vivian was cheating on him with the security guard, Luke. So Ben talks to Luke and learns that he's sterile. Constance's young boyfriend, Travis, has had sex with Hayden, and Hayden kills him. Larry then dumps the body out, imitating the Black Dahlia murders. Ben finds the rubber man mask and realizes that Vivian was raped by someone wearing the suit. Moria tells Constance that Tate is the father of Vivian's other child, and Constance's medium, Billy Dean, says that the child of a ghost would be the Antichrist. Also, a note, Elizabeth Short is also revealed to be Black Dahlia. 
In episode 10, Smoldering Children, directed by Michael Lemon and written by James Wong, it is revealed that Tate was the one who caused Larry's burn scars, not Larry's own burning of his family. But instead, Tate set him on fire the same morning as the school shooting. The police suspect that Constance killed her boyfriend, Travis. Ben learns that Violet has not been in school in weeks and notices an infestation in the house. The exterminator Ben calls is then killed by Tate as he attempts to investigate. Ben tells Violet that she needs to go to school, and she says that she will if she can change to a different school. Ben agrees, but starts looking into boarding schools, causing Tate to show Violet her corpse in the crawl space, which was what was causing the infestation, and telling her that she can't leave the house because she's a ghost. Violet actually did die from her suicide attempt. Also, Larry confesses to the murder of Travis after meeting the ghost of his family for the first time. Ben learns that Tate is the rubber man and other father of Vivian's children. Episode 11, Birth, directed by Alfonso Gomez Rijon and written by Tim Minear. Ben goes to get Vivian from the sanitarium and realizes that he was wrong about her and tries to take Violet with him, but Violet is stuck in the house as a ghost. Vivian says that they need to go to her sister's house in Florida, but while waiting in the car for Ben to pick up Violet, she goes into labor. Violet tries to explain to Ben that she's dead and trapped in the house. Constance gets Vivian into the house and has the ghost of Charles Montgomery and the nurses from the serial killing mentioned in episode 2 assist in the delivery. Chad tells Violet that Tate is the father of one of her children. One of the twins is still born and Vivian dies giving birth to the second one. Violet confronts Tate and says that she still loves him but cannot forgive him and tells him to go away, going back to his previous statement that ghosts will go away if you tell them to. Vivian's ghost then appears and comforts Violet. Episode 12, Afterbirth, directed by Bradley Buecher and written by Jessica Scharzer. Ben plans to commit suicide, but the ghosts of Violet and Vivian encourage him to persevere and take the living twin away from the house. As he attempts to do so, Hayden and the home invasion ghost from episode 2 hang him from the chandelier, killing him. Constance takes the surviving twin away from the house. The more benevolent ghosts help the Harmon family scare away future tenants so that no one else will be killed by the house. Tate tries to kill the son of this potential tenant family so that Violet will feel less alone, but Violet prevents him from doing so. Nora tries to keep the ghost of the stillborn twin, but eventually gives it back to Vivian, who asks Moira to be its godmother. The Harmons and Moira decorate the house for Christmas, while Tate tells Hayden he's willing to wait forever for Violet. Three years later, a toddler version of Vivian's living twin, raised by Constance, has killed his nanny and looks very similar to Tate. We hope this was more entertaining than the Wikipedia summary. Hi, this is Elizabeth Crane just chiming in to say please rate our podcast five stars and leave a written review if you have a spare second. This is the metric that a lot of podcast apps use to track which podcasts are being listened to a lot. So we would really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Thank you. Welcome back from our break. We're now going to discuss various topics we felt needed to be analyzed. 
The first topic we want to discuss is this show's depiction of school shootings and more broadly serial killers, as shown by Evan Peters' portrayal of Kate. So, Evan Peters has recently portrayed Jeffrey Dahmer in another Ryan Murphy television show that has been extremely popular and has been called exploitative, including by members of the victim's families, who are obviously the people most severely affected. And the media has been very dismissive of these people's claims, which is very upsetting. And this show, also a Ryan Murphy production, is, in my opinion, very dismissive of the harm caused by serial killers, and in particular, school shooters, which is an extremely serious topic. And this show almost seems to glamorize it, as Tate is portrayed, if not completely sympathetically, then more sympathetically than I personally would portray a character like this. Violet is very kind to him throughout the show, uh, even after she learns what happened to him. And I think especially on the internet around the time the show was coming out, his character was very glamorized by fans. I completely agree. I, I still think his character is glamorized to this day because we see so many people put on the like skull makeup he was wearing. Um... Like, I feel like it has to do with how people perceive Evan Peters to be an attractive man. Um, but it really should not be glamorized at all. You know, I think you're completely right in your assessment, in your assessment that the show is pretty, um, the show is pretty sympathetic towards Tate. And even when they're showing, like, the school shooting, you know, like I feel like with Tate walking in dressed all black with the skull makeup, I f the way they portrayed it seemed like, oh, he's just a cool guy more than man, he's a mass murderer. Like he is literally killing kids. Like it, the whole portrayal of that entire scene was more adrenaline and it was more so depicting him. I like I really like I f I really don't know how to describe. I feel like it was more so like he just looked like the vibe they were going for was not the vibes it should have been. Yes, I know what you're trying to say. The way that the scene is shot does not depict it as horror. It depicts it as like a POV shot of Tate walking through the hallway. Yeah. With, like, music, like, peppy music playing underneath. Yeah. And, obviously, this is a horror podcast. We talk about many disgusting characters, and sometimes we even like them because their character design is cool or they have underlying motives. But this is not really a case where that is shown. This is a disgusting character, and the reception of him has been glowing. Mm-hmm. And that is very upsetting to me, and I feel that that has been exacerbated in recent months with the release of the Jeffrey Dahmer show that Evan Peter also stars in. Yeah, 100%. I feel like, in general, a lot of people do glamorize serial killers, and you shouldn't be doing that at all. It's disrespectful um, to the victims, to the victims' families, to the entire, like, 
everything that happened. It's just disrespectful. And with the Jeffrey Dahmer series just being so popular, like it honestly just adds to the notoriety and fame that Jeffrey Dahmer has. And it's not at all done in a respectful way. I couldn't agree more. And honestly, I think that one major issue here is that these are portrayals of of real serial killers when a lot of times we enjoy evil characters who are highly fictional. Maybe they have magical powers, certainly not tackling real world topics. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the Jeffrey Dahmer series is glorifying Jeffrey Dahmer and the character of Tate is a reference to the Columbine Massacre. I think that there's a major distinction there and that this shows and Ryan Murphy's body of work leaking over into real-world tragedy is in very bad taste. Yeah, 100%. Like, I feel like we see in, like, a lot of American Horror Story um, seasons that, like, Ryan Murphy tries to incorporate this in reality because, like, a lot of his characters are either references to reality or they're, like, real people, like... In this one, like, we have Elizabeth Short, who is Black Dahlia, show up and stuff like that. But it's, I just think it's fucked up to make an audience sympathize with these characters. And slightly different point, but I feel like with Jeffrey Dahmer in particular, I feel like there's been so much media already made about him that have already been, like, kind of disrespectful and stuff. It's like, do we really need another one? Yeah, it's adding insult to injury when we know that the victims' families have been unhappy about this for years. And this one has made the news because it's more popular, but that doesn't mean other ones are less harmful. Yeah, 100%. Moving on to a different topic, uh, the depiction of queer people in this show is fairly good, but there are definitely some things I'd like to discuss. My main gripe with Ryan Murphy shows, and not all of them, obviously Pose has been extremely highly lauded for its portrayal of Black trans women and other underrepresented minorities, but in this and several other Ryan Murphy shows, there's this certain type of queer person portrayed, which is like, a 30-year-old white gay man, and that's sort of it. Like, this was 2011. We know that that's 11 years ago. I'm bad at math. (laughs) And things have come a long way since then. But also, 2011, 11 years is not that long. You definitely could have had more queer people in the show, more people of color in the show. And... The portrayal of these gay men just sort of felt like the bare minimum and also very stereotypical Mm -hmm. in that they're, like, interested in interior design and kink. Like, name two more stereotypical activities for gay men. No, 100%. Like, I mean, sure, the gay men in the show were more minor characters compared to the others, but he really said their one personality trait is gay. Yeah, exactly. It feels like their defining personality trait is their queerness. And that's a very simplified way to portray a very complex issue. 
this ties into the larger discussion. If you've heard our last episode, you know Dahlia's and Maya's thoughts on the Ryan Murphy cinematic universe, as we have termed it. We call it a cinematic universe not because his shows really overlap, but because they tend to have similar vibes, and also he tends to cast a lot of the same actors over and over. And honestly, I'm just not a huge fan of said cinematic universe. My main complaint is that it's so much all the time, and that really bleeds through in the season. When I was thinking about how to summarize the plot of the show, I have struggled because there are so many random dangling plot threads that don't really go anywhere and are not resolved, and it's just like the writers of this show, which I know Ryan Murphy is only like one of several, but the writers of this show took every single concept they thought could be scary and was like, it all needs to go in. Every single one of these things has got to be in there. I don't care if it's for five minutes. There's going to be a scene with every weird little scary thing we could think of, even if it doesn't pay off. No, I 100% agree. I feel like this first season was them testing the waters, and in every single consecutive season after this, they've just made it more and more convoluted, and it just gets so confusing. I think that's why also the newer seasons are just not good, because, like, Apocalypse, you know, um, I forget which season it was, but Apocalypse, probably, yeah. and that was the one where they were, like, gonna tie it all the way, like, all back to previous seasons like Cody Fern's character was the Antichrist which is the ki- the living twin from the season and stuff but like I remember feeling so dissatisfied with that season just because it bounced around so much because it was trying to tie in all of these random threads that they left open in previous seasons but there's so many random threads from previous seasons that they weren't able to do it well um The show is just incredibly convoluted, and it's really hard to keep track of the main storyline sometimes. Like, Asylum's... Like, Asylum's my favorite season, but, like, anytime I try to rewatch it, it's just so much, because it goes from, like, aliens to them being in Asylum to, like, journalism to, like... more medical experiments and then nazis out of nowhere it's really weird yeah and this is what really prevents this show from hitting home for me but you still like it fairly well right Mm -hmm. why do you think it has struck you i think so when i first so we were talking about this before we were recording the podcast i think The first time I watched the show was when I was in ninth grade, so like freshman year of high school, and I was like, wow, this is such an adult show. Wow, I feel so cool, you know? And I I do think that the show was one of my first forays into horror, and it was kind of a cultural reset for me because I was like, oh, wow. But then as I've grown and watching it from a more mature perspective and also having been watching other horror things and having like delved into the horror spear a little more it's a lot easier for me to recognize where the writing and the 
um, portrayal of things in American Horror Story fails. Um, and I think also with my dissatisfaction with recent seasons, I think that just adds, that just makes me even more, um, it just helps me pay more attention to the details of earlier seasons because it's like, oh, wow, like maybe I should have expected this like decline coming because like the red flags were there. The red flags were there. Um, like I do definitely think American Horror Story was a cultural reset for me and it's a very popular show, but I think Ryan Murphy should end it. <laughs> They keep milking it. They're making spinoffs. The new season is New York City, which I yeah. definitely are. I'm. I really. I'm not caught up. I'm sorry. No, I haven't watched it. <laughs> but I've already heard criticism online that it's like the most Ryan Murphy, like distilled into one season. Like it's about queer people in New York City being stalked by serial killers. That's like every Ryan Murphy like favorite topic to come back. Yeah. I feel like every single season, he's like, who's the worst person who's lived that I can think of? Can I add him in the show and make Evan Peters play him somehow? Yeah. I mean, he's given all these interviews where he's like, I have, like, really gone through it, like, psychologically playing all these people. I want to be in, like, a comedy. And he just keeps getting cast in these roles. And I'm really curious about, besides just, like, being tired of the role, like, does he enjoy this role or is it just the only work he can get at this point? That's what I was wondering. Maybe he's just so typecast at this point. But the thing is, if you look at his like cinematography, he has done comedy things before he got into AHS. Like, I do not remember the names of them because, <laughs> but he has been in like comedy things and like lighthearted things. He was even like, he was even Quicksilver in, um, x-men which then because x-men is under marvel bled into wandavision where he played um peter maximoff and plus quicksilver again because multiverse so like he has been in other things i just think it's a really interesting choice like maybe he's like contracted with ryan murphy there's these actors though and ryan murphy is like i got a new project and like Sarah Paulson, yeah. Listen, as a lesbian, I'm like I am rooting for you, Queen. I think she's such a good actress, but I just cannot bring it within myself to watch more Ryan Murphy things. Yeah, I'm sorry. I know. Okay, I know that having queer creators like this is really important, and it's really a huge step forward that an openly gay man is such a popular director, and I acknowledge that. And I'm very grateful for the progress he's made. But I personally just don't enjoy his style. And that's not like a huge criticism. I'm not like, oh, I think he's terrible. I just, it's not for me. And that's so valid. I feel like a lot of his shows have a, has a similar style to it. You can really tell if it's a Ryan Murphy show. Honestly, I think Pose is my one like exception. Pose is my one exception to this because like I think what works for Pose is that he doesn't have 20 billion different storylines. No, seriously. If you sit down and watch Pose, you are following the main characters and their stories. There's no weird pig man showing up mm -hmm. in episode 6 for you to be like, "What?" and then it's never brought up again. Yeah. And that's why Pose is great. And mm -hmm. also because it's telling stories that need to be told. A hundred percent, because we, 
I've said this before, we've said this before, we really do not need to glamorize these serial killers any longer. Like, I'm so sick and tired. So sick and tired. Ah, I don't know, there's like, there's like, this is like, kind of on topic but like it's not a serial killer but like in season two no in season three coven um like they have madam what's her face like the racist yeah like i just and then like they showed her like um abusing enslaved people and using their blood and stuff like that that's just that's That's just so dark and I think it's based on a real story. It is. But the decision to include it is so skin-crawling. And again, I know it's a horror property. There's a line that can be walked there and a discussion to have. But to me, that's way beyond it. I 100% agree. I do think it's way beyond. I think it's also weird coming from a white creator because, like, I don't know. Like, Like, from a white creator, it's weird because this is, like, a very serious topic um and like slavery and racism has like racism is still present and slavery still has such an impact on um the lives of poc and black people to this day like it's just not something that should be taken lightly or should be glamorized or like just shown in the way it was like i don't think it was necessarily glamorized as like the serial killers are, but it was still, still weird. It was very uncomfortable. I agree. Yeah, it wasn't glamorized in the way that the serial killers like Kate are kind of shown as the protagonist. She was definitely the villain, Mm -hmm. but the decision to include this in a television show that while dark is ultimately still entertainment was very sort of beyond the pale for me. Another topic I wanted to bring up in this episode is that this season definitely follows what is a fairly common narrative in a lot of horror movies, which is that the wife picks up on supernatural occurrences in the house pretty quickly, and the husband is just the absolute worst about it and is like, oh, supernatural occurrences in my household? It couldn't possibly be. One of the most prominent examples of this is paranormal activity. People cite that all the time. The boyfriend in that movie, trash garbage. We all know this, okay? Micah? Mika? I think that was his name. It's been a couple years. But he is the worst. And in this season of the show, we see a version that is somehow less extreme and more extreme of that, where Ben is maybe not stereotypically awful, but he does try to have his wife locked up in a sanitarium, which, yikes. He also is having an affair, which, like, classic bad husband. And then he was like, how dare you cheat on me when I've cheated on you? Okay. Dog, like, please. Like, dog, (laughs) sit down. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's just very interesting to watch the gender dynamics in this movie because it's drawing from this history of haunted house films where this is a very common narrative and this one uses it in a slightly different way where it's not just him being like oh ghosts aren't real it's more him using the fact that he hasn't really seen any ghosts to manipulate Vivian and eventually send her to a sanitarium 
He, like, gaslighted her so much, she felt like she was going insane. Like, actually. I just don't like Ben. I think he's a weird character. In Apocalypse, he's shown just, like, waking up every day and masturbating and then going to bed. And it's like, dog, please, you are weird. You are weird. Like, stop. Yeah. The one part I liked about Apocalypse is that they give Mora, Mora a happy ending where, like, they dug up her grave and she was able to um, ascend or whatever, pass on. Um, and then at the end of Apocalypse, the time goes back because of magic or whatever. So she never got her happy ending. And I was like, why would you do that? like literally okay i know this is murder house but i just remembered the ending of apocalypse and i'm so annoyed because you know how they they spent this whole season trying to find Cody, trying to find cody fern's character the antichrist um to get rid of him because he's the antichrist and then they end it all in the last episode with um Billy Lord's character, like, using time magic or whatever, going back in time and running him over with the car. That's how they ended the whole season. All that build up for what? Sorry, I'm, like, yelling into this microphone right now. But it's because I just remember I watched this. I think it was 11th or 12th grade. And I was like, what the actual fuck? What the heck? All that for for her to just run him over with his with her car? Um, that's very strange I have a lot of thoughts about this show the more we talk about it the more things are coming up and I'm like wow I'm starting to see my point of view (laughs) over here I genuinely I don't love the show I think it's I think it got overhyped and it's not that good so on this podcast we always rate the movies or TV shows we watch on two different scales we first rate them on how queer we on how queer they are, and then we rate them on how much we enjoyed the movie. So, for this movie, on a scale of 1 to 10, in terms of queerness, I'd give it like a 6 out of 10. It had queer characters, there wasn't like blatant flaws with them, but they were very stereotypical and very Ryan Murphy 30-year-old white gay man. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I was thinking more of a a lot less like a four out of ten <laughs> just because i feel like the characters were still too minor for me because like there have definitely been other horror things where queer characters are in like the spotlight specifically um and like it was a little too s- much of a stereotype for me to really care about them if that makes sense. yeah it does make sense i was just thinking more in terms of like they exist yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> For a 2011 show, that's, like, pretty decent. Yeah. It's very... They're definitely in the middle. We agree it's in the middle. Yeah. I think it's just what scale we're grading it on depends on, like, what other media we've consumed recently. Yeah. Okay, in terms of rating this movie, in terms of how much we enjoyed it, I'm going to give it, like, a 4 out of 10. I think... There are enjoyable aspects of it, and I see why people liked it, but I personally do not find it enjoyable because there are so many things happening every single episode, and in addition, I think the portrayal of school shooters has aged terribly. 
I 100% agree. I think if you had asked me this question when I watched it for the first time in ninth grade, it would have been like 7 or 8 out of 10. But now, like, because I'm more mature and just like re-watching, like, I would definitely give it probably like a 4 out of 10 too. Like, it's, it's there. <laughs> yeah. It's there. Okay. So, in this podcast, we close out every episode by giving a weird little hint connecting what we watched in this episode to what we're going to watch next episode until all the things we watch are linked together in a weird train of horror content. This week, the connection, weird leather bondage outfits. I wonder what that could be. There's not any popular horror franchises about that. Thank you for tuning in to our fifth episode of Queer by Candlelight. We hope you'll listen to another episode soon. Queer by Candlelight is a podcast hosted, created, and edited by Elizabeth Crane and Dahlia Kumar. Cover art by Dahlia Kumar. Music by Elizabeth Crane. Music recorded by Elizabeth Crane and Ryan Allegretti. With special thanks to Carlos Myers for help with music composition. Mm-hmm.